Thank you very much, Joe. Well, you all may be seated. Uh, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, today we are going to be primarily in that chapter. It will be our main verse. Um, but in addition, many of you all know we've been in a series on... Uh, Sorry, we've been in a series on the attributes of God. We're going to take a brief pause from that series to discuss membership. Um, And if you're like me growing up, you did not like the concept of church membership. Uh, In fact, where I came from, we didn't have church membership because we would say, well, there's no reference to that in Scripture. Um, So can I just tell you, though, in the first century church, when you were baptized into the body of Christ... You were part of that local community. And until you died or got raptured away or got sent out to plant another one, you were there. Um, And so you didn't necessarily need any commitment other than you got baptized here, you're part of this family. But as you well know, in our modern culture, uh, church commitment seems to be something that is thought of more like a consumer venture. That somebody might be in attendance at one church, they might have their kids in a children's ministry somewhere else, they might call up some pastor friend in another state for something else over here, Um, they might go over here to this thing, and not that those things are bad, but I, I have to tell you, as a pastor, I need to know who I'm going to answer to God for. And I'm reading more about what we see is called to for a pastor, how Man, when I, when I face God someday, he is going to ask me about every person under my care. And so that, plus understanding that if people don't necessarily get what church is supposed to be about, we want to make sure we're committed to one another. And we've clearly expressed this is what it means to be part of this church family. Cool? So we're going to discuss a few things. We're going to jump into this. As I get into this, I want to just encourage... Um, I think our church is pretty blessed. Uh, We are imperfect, but I see love and good things happening in ways that I haven't seen in churches before. So praise the Lord. This is not me giving any kind of an indictment against our church. It's us calling us in and saying, like, isn't this kind of cool? Don't we want to take it up a notch? Cool? So joining with me, we're going to jump in here. When I talk about membership, uh, and again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 in just a minute. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ as a whole what it means to be committed to this local body, and then in hopes of us getting an answer of who the elders are going to answer to God for someday. So uh, let me pray and we'll jump right in. Father, um, I recognize our desperate need for you. Uh, Lord, nothing happens without you. And so I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the word of God to us as we study it today. Anoint me that I would speak only in accordance with your will today. And then um, may all of us see the, the, the vision you have for the church, the commands you have for the church, that we would step into that fully in obedience to you as we commit to one another, submitting one, to one another in love. Um, we ask you would just be with us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one 
body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul is reiterating this very clear idea that there is only one body of Christ, not many, but there are many members in this body of Christ. And he's highlighting the fact that, hey, there's Jews and Greeks, there's slave and free. Every walk of life, every ethnicity is welcomed into this body of Christ. Verse 14 says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand and do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, as we are about to see, Paul is getting into this idea that in this wonderful diversity of members in the body of Christ, that were completely unified, but at the same time, he's recognizing that because there's variety of gifting, we have a tendency to think, oh, well, I'm not really that important because I am not this. Or maybe thinking, oh, I'm more important than this person because of this. And Paul is making it clear, no, 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 that's not the case. It doesn't matter who you are or what your role is. You are part of this one body, and you have a key role to play. Reading on, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the body that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul reiterates this idea that in this unity that we have, I don't get to pretend that because I am not a pastor or teacher or house church host or worship leader, that I am any less a part of this body. In fact, he even seems to indicate that those who serve in ways that are unseen are maybe worthy of a greater honor in the same way that we cover up certain parts of our body that have honor and value to them. Paul's communication is that there is absolute unity in the body, that there is a role that every member plays, and that in doing so, we are united together. He even says when one suffer, all suffers together. I am. And when one is honored, all rejoice together. I I have to say, this is something that, that the Lord has had to convict me on. Because especially in our individualized culture, it has been easy for me to say, oh, that person has fallen into sin or to struggle. We'll pray for them from over here. Or, or when there has been some Christian leader falls into sin, it's easy for me to say, well, they're not part of my group. They're not part of my church, my denomination. And easy for me to just isolate. 
Paul's saying this is not exactly how it works, right? If I see my brother in sin, I don't get to just let it go. If I see my brother or sister hurting, I don't just get to let it go. I have a role as a part of the body to minister to the rest of the body. And when things go well, I don't get jealous. I'm to say, praise God that the body of Christ is being lifted up. The illustration I often use for this is that, you know, when I'm walking through my house, um, and there is a Lego on the floor. I know that it's cliche to talk about the pain that Lego causes feet, but it is a reality. Um, if I step on a Lego brick, I, I don't, you know, my, my, my mouth does not say to my foot, well, hey, it just stinks to be you because that's not affecting me. No, my entire body reacts Right? I probably sit down. I mean, depending on the severity of it. You might fall. You might fall. Right, yeah. You know, I am am down for the count. I'm holding my foot. I'm rubbing it. My hands are involved in that. My mouth is saying things that pastors shouldn't say. Everything is involved. My whole body is, is involved in this one injury. Right? So it is to be in the body of Christ. When somebody is in the hospital, we visit or we bring food, we pray, we encourage. When somebody has a baby, this is one of the things, we, we, we try to arrange meals. And here's the thing, when somebody is in sin, we confront in love. Right? When somebody celebrates a new job or, or a new family member or something else, we celebrate with them because we are one body. Cool? So this is what Paul is getting at. Two key things. First, is that every believer is part of the body of Christ. And we see this theme played out in a lot of other places in Scripture. Just to clarify and reiterate, sometimes we are referred to as citizens in the kingdom of God, representing our unity there. We're represented as family members. This idea that we are all part of this same family. We are baptized into, born into spiritually. There's reference to us as stones in the temple of God. In all of these things, though, it's communicating the fact that we are in this together and we are joined together for it, right? So if you are a believer, if you have put your trust in Christ, you have been baptized into the family of God, you are part of this body. You are part of this temple. You are part of this family. You are part of this kingdom as a citizen. Um, There's just no getting around it. So as we're talking about this, just to be clear, we are referencing the global body of Christ here. I haven't started talking about our local community yet. What we're talking about is that I am connected to the church in Iran because we're part of the same body in the same spirit. We are connected to the church in Mexico and El Salvador and Managua, not just through relationships that we have, but through the body of Christ. We are connected to Canadian believers that we maybe have never met. We are connected to the church in North Korea right now that is under persecution. And because they are hurting, we are to grieve with them. And because God's gospel is being proclaimed, hearing wonderful stories of a pastor who was managed to share the gospel with a thousand people in North Korea before he was executed. We should celebrate as we grieve. The gospel is going forth. The body of Christ is growing. We celebrate and we say, man, God has taken him home. He has, been, he has suffered martyrdom, but praise God. This is understand that we're, we are celebrating and we are grieving because we are part of this one body. All that said, let's read on to the next thing. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, 
third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Understand what Paul is getting at. He says, one thing that you're part of this body But secondarily, the idea is you have a role to play because of your gifting in this body. If we are to read on, and I'm not able to do an in-depth study of all of 1 Corinthians today, but if we're to read on, we see in chapter 14, the expectation is that everyone is abiding in Christ throughout the week and connected with one another. And when we come to gather together, everyone has something to contribute whether that is gift of hospitality or encouragement, whether that's praying for healing, whether that's the gift of teaching, whether it's prophecy or whatever else, the idea is everybody is coming to the table to contribute something for the edification of the body of Christ. And in other words, like not only are you part of this one body, but because you're part of this body, you're part of this family, you have a function. You are not off the hook because you are not a teacher. You are not off the hook because you are not leading worship. You are not off the hook because you're not hosting a house church. The idea is you have a role to play and it is expected that you do it more often than not. This is why in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, let's just put some organization on this to make sure that we're doing things decently in order. But the idea is you're showing up ready to contribute to what God is doing in this body. Cool? Now, as you can imagine, in many contexts... We've limited the scope of what is to be done to basically two guys. You have a guy who teaches, maybe a guy who leads worship, and then maybe there's a couple of volunteer tasks here and there, but the idea is that the work of ministry is done by a very limited number of people. And sadly, many times, those teachers are not even necessarily always teaching God's word. Many times we're doing glorified self-help sermons, right? And the worship leaders aren't always even singing gospel songs that clearly communicate the truth of God. And so... As you can imagine, when we are lacking in gifting, the body suffers, right? But we can understand how we could have a church that was really great at teaching, right? And, and maybe, maybe, you know, the pastor teaches well, he's doctrinally sound and all that kind of stuff, but maybe he lacks in mercy showing. Well, we're not expecting him to have all the gifting. The mercy shower should show up and show mercy, Right? Maybe there's someone who has gift of encouragement. I tell you what, you can tell when there is lacking in the gift of encouragement being manifested in a church. Right? Because if, if I was allowed to teach as I sometimes will, always, I will, I will teach fire and fury and miss out on good news of restoration in Christ. And I need the mercy showers to come by and be like, Dan, you've got to chill. Like, yes, that was correct, but we've had fire and brimstone too long. We need some mercy showing, right? This is how gifting comes in, right? I can be discouraged and frustrated and the person with gift of encouragement can speak words of encouragement and it is absolutely a part of what God wants us to do when we gather. So before I go any further, I have to say, Can you imagine what happens when part of the body is not there, right? I can't contribute to the edification of the body if I am absent. 
I can't contribute to the edification of the body if I have not myself been in the Word, filled with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, so that when I show up, I'm not just using a talent. There's actually a spiritual manifestation that's going on in the words of encouragement I offer, or in the mercy showing I offer, or in the hospitality I offer, or in the teaching that I offer. This is what Paul is calling us to. That everybody has a role. It can't be one or two. There are, there are multitudinous gifts to be in operation. And then, notice what he says at the end of chapter 12. And he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. Again, we don't have the time to do a full study of 1 Corinthians. And I hadn't planned initially to teach on this part of it, but I, I couldn't not as I'm, getting on, as I'm thinking about this today, as I was thinking about this this morning. Does anybody know what follows this, I will show you a more excellent way? What is Paul speaking of? Yeah? Yeah. He's speaking of love. And 1 Corinthians 13, I will have to tell you, as a pastor who has done a whole lot of weddings, it frustrates me that we've relegated 1 Corinthians 13 to weddings only. And while this definition of love certainly applies to marriages, this is about the communion of the saints. Right? And so I'm just going to leave a couple, a couple of things. As he actually says here, I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, have all this gifting and all kinds of things, but if I don't do it with love, it means nothing. Like, he uses pretty strong language that, like, I could have all this gifting, and if, it doesn't, if I don't do it in love, it profits me nothing. Now, again, this is not any kind of an indictment on our church. Um, we're blessed to see lots of love. I actually think we're blessed more than most churches with the use of gifting. I think it needs to be more, if I'm being quite honest. I think we need to see even more use of gifts and even more commitment to be together as a body, right? Because what each of you bring to the table is a critical thing for the manifestation of the Spirit and the edification of the body. And so I'm going to jump over and say something that I don't think normally, I don't think needs to be taught to our church right now, but this is preemptive to protect us. Because I know what sometimes happens is we start elevating one gift and saying like, this is an awesome gift, this is our favorite gift. And then we'll say, well, if this guy's really good at this gift, then he can do other things and we'll just kind of forget about that because his gifting is so good. He's such a great leader or he's such a great teacher. We'll just ignore the fact that he's awful in the way that he treats his wife or, or whatever. So I'm just going to point out, none of those things matter unless this happens. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, he says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Okay, so saying all this, when we start talking about the use of the gifting, it should be in love as defined here, right? This is why when I encounter a pastor who is a gifted speaker but is arrogant, I tell him, guess what? What you are doing means nothing because it is absent of love. Now, I haven't had that harsh of a confrontation. I've had pretty doggone close, right? If I don't do this in love, it doesn't mean anything. If I'm arrogant or rude or self-seeking, if I'm resentful of somebody else because they're getting a little bit more attention right now than I am, I'm not doing it in love. And if I'm not doing it in love, it's profiting nothing. Nothing for me, for sure, but possibly nothing for the kingdom of God. Other than God can sure take something that somebody says that's true, and even if they're just being a complete jerk when they say it, His Holy Spirit can do some good things, praise the Lord, but it's profiting very little for the kingdom if I am being arrogant or rude. All this said, again, this is not an indictment. This is a warning for protection for our church. I sense lots of love in our church. I'm sure that it's imperfect, but I'm just making sure we know that. So, 
All that said, 1 Corinthians 11, the understanding here is that every believer then, not only is every believer a part of the body of Christ as a whole, but every believer has a role in the body of Christ. And you don't get off the hook simply because you are not in a prominent role. The idea is that every week, every day maybe, you are showing up to serve the body of Christ in some way. This is, goes even beyond Sunday. For granted aloud, Paul is talking to people that are meeting day by day in the temple courts and from house to house. The idea is that this is a regular, like, I don't just show up on Sunday and say, oh, nice, I read some things and here's a nice encouraging word for you. The idea is that throughout the week, I'm praying for the body, I'm contributing, I'm maybe texting words of encouragement, I'm maybe noticing that somebody is maybe into something they shouldn't be and I'm lovingly showing up and saying like, hey, I noticed this, this concerns me, I'm confronting you as a brother or sister in love. I am supposed to be contributing to the body every day. Yeah. Cool? Everybody with me so far? Because I'm going to change gears just a little bit. So uh, to this point, everything that we've been reading, Paul is speaking to the body of Christ globally, right? And so it'd be really easy, as some as I have done, to say, well, cool, I'm part of the body of Christ as a whole, man. I don't need to, like, commit to any one of these churches, right? I'll kind of float around, you know, like, like the dude and just say, like, hey, man, I love this church. I'm contributing here. And praise God, there's some value to a little bit of that. But here's the thing. Paul seemed to understand local assemblies as having a, an, a specific identity as part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 69, he says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Referring to that home group as a church unto itself. Colossians 4.15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Again, house church. There's a local body, a local assembly there. In Philemon 1.2, he also refers to people in a particular house. Then this happens. In Titus 1.5, he says to Titus, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders into every town as I directed you. Paul has this very clear understanding that the body of Christ is completely unified, but that each group, each house, each city has its own kind of connection together, and that Paul is saying like, hey, I hadn't finished setting up elders over every town, so Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete to make sure that there are overseers over each of these towns to make sure we're shepherding well. Paul's even saying like, My wor- that work there was not complete. So I need to make sure we're setting things up. By the way, this is the closest I can see to what my role is, is I'm trying to set up elders for every house church in every town, right? This is hopefully, I'm being very Titus-like, hopefully. So just a key thing here, Paul's saying like elders in every town seems to have this idea that one, there is a connection, a community in that local church that somehow they're knit together, and two, that there's supposed to be some type of elder oversight for that, Yeah? All right, so a quick side note here. One thing I always have to, anytime we start talking about anything related to leadership, we bring a lot of baggage into it. And I, um, I'm just going to tell you, I, I just about hate how we have treated leadership in the American church as like a CEO role. And we've taken a secular idea of leadership and tried to insert it into the church. And in shoehorning some of these concepts in, we have neglected what it means to actually be an overseer in the church. In fact, you will see, I try not to use the word leader in the church. Not that it doesn't apply, but because we've, we've bastardized that word so badly 
And so I try to use words like overseer and elder, not to mention they're biblical words, right? But what we see, first of all, when we think of leadership is people think of a boss. We think of a leader. We think of somebody who is in charge. And I would like for us to think when we think of elders, think of as an overseer, a servant who is providing an example and shepherding, right? This keeps us away from control. By the way, this is part of why we have co-equal elders in our church. There is not a senior pastor. Um, I am our planting pastor. I don't get a bigger vote than anybody here, right? My, the elders and I, when we come together, we don't really even vote anyway. We kind of pray and ask for God's direction, and we kind of we come to unity. Or at least that's how it's been working for the last five years, by God's grace. Um, the idea here is that we're co-equal, seeking the Lord together, right? And this is how it works. I, I don't get to be a boss because... We can look here to Colossians 1.18 because Christ is our head. Colossians 1.18 says, He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. So in our church, in the church as a whole, the church globally, Christ is to have first place in everything. Nobody is supposed to get attention that Christ is supposed to get. I am not supposed to get attention that Christ is supposed to get, which is yet another reason why we have co-equal elders. Ephesians 1.22 says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church. Lest there be any confusion, Christ is in charge. And when we talk about elders here, we're talking about shepherd overseers under his headship. Just making this really, really clear. Cool? All right, so a little explanation of what elders do. Elders are called to shepherd the flock God placed over them as ones who will give an answer for what they've done. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion. This is why we say, hey, shepherds are overseers. Um, Nobody forces them into this role, right? But voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain. We don't want our elders to try to manipulate to get something for themselves out of this role. But with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted in your charge, but providing examples to the flock. Notice this description. He's like, elders are not allowed to say, well, I'm your elder. You got to do what I say. Like, this is not how this works. The elder provides an example, and certainly there is headship there. There is oversight there. But the elder is supposed to serve as an example who is calling people to say, come and follow Jesus with me. This is how it is done. They don't get to be kings, right? They're just servants showing an example of how to be slaves of Christ. Cool? 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, But we request of you, brethren, that, those, uh, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction for you. He's saying to the body, he's like, hey, let's appreciate them because they're trying to do this work. Um, reading on, we see that the elders are called Um, as we're called to submit to elders because the elders are going to be held to a stricter standard. I mean, just before I read this, this terrifies me. If there is something that keeps me awake, and by God's grace it doesn't, but it gets close to it, it terrifies me that a day will come when I will stand before our Creator and have to give an answer for the people that were under my care as shepherd. 
This is honestly the biggest reason why I'm talking about membership. As someone who used to really not like the idea of membership at all. I mean, in the churches I grew up in, if you remember, that was like you were the least likely to be doing anything for the kingdom of God. It was like, oh, I joined Rotary. I joined this church. It meant nothing. Right? What we're trying to say here is we're committing to the body of Christ together. Anyway, speaking more of elders, because this is just scary. Uh, Acts 20, 28 says, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is Paul speaking to the elders uh, and overseers of the church in Ephesus. He says, To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I, I don't think that there is such a thing as a higher cost than the very blood of Christ. And so, can you just, let me just tell you how I see this here. God purchased you with his blood, with Christ's very blood. And I have to give an answer for how I cared for his people that he bought with his blood. I can't imagine standing before God himself and saying like, hey, how did you care for Joe? Because remember, I bought him with my blood, right? This means that if somebody falls into sin and I don't confront it and shepherd them back into communion, I'm going to stand before God and he's like, that one fell into sin and you did nothing? I bought her with my blood. I bought him with my blood. You, you didn't do anything. I put you in charge. I made you a steward and a shepherd and an overseer and you did nothing. What's wrong with you? I don't want to look in, fr- in, in the eyes of my Savior and have him say that I neglected shepherding anyone among us. It scares me enough when I think about shepherding my children, let alone he's put me in a role of oversight in this church. Oh... It gets scarier. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I don't know of any other place where this is mentioned. There's a couple of places where it says, Hey, be careful when you judge. You're going to be judged with the same standard. This actually says, The teachers will be judged with greater strictness. I've gone back and looked at sermons that I've preached in past ministry roles and said, like, I can't believe I said that. I did not clarify that well. I will have to give an answer to God for that. For every word I taught, I'll have to give an answer. This is why sometimes when I'm talking to people about being elders, I I try to cite this. Maybe you didn't do that early on with some of you. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But I try to cite this and say, like, you are held to a stricter standard. This should terrify you. You should only do this if you can't not do this. If God is calling you to it so that the word of God is in you, you know you're supposed to do this, and you just can't not because it would be disobedience to him. Otherwise, if this just sounds cool to you, you should never be an elder or a teacher. (sighs) This is... When I think of false teaching that happens in so many churches, I'm like, man, that dude's going to have to answer to God for teaching something in error that could lead people astray. I don't ever want to be in that position. Um, in fact, it scares me. I've had to repent of things that I have taught that were, it, that were either not clear or even in error. Right? Hebrews 13, 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I sometimes wonder, what is he getting at? Do this with joy like, and not with grief. Is he saying like, hey, don't be a problem because this is going to make their job harder and they're going to do it with grief rather than with joy. Um, make it a joy for them as overseers. And so this is part of what I'm communicating to us as a body and saying like, for the most part, it's a joyous thing to shepherd here. Um, I've had some difficult times in the past where we've had to shepherd and it was painful. We had to call out sin. We had to discipline. It hurts. I am blessed that for the most part, this is a joyous thing, right? Um, Yeah. Anyway, so as we say all this, we recognize that we are called to obey Christ's commands for the church committed to one another in Christ. Um, I had to do that little thing about elders so that we would see how serious this is. Um, I'm going to change gears again. I know I'm covering a lot today, um, but I wanted to give a good, clear overview of what we're getting at here. So we are called to obey Christ's commands for the church as we commit to one another in Christ. So when we start talking about this, uh, the elders and I have put together a membership covenant. And um, I'm not going to ask anybody to sign anything or do any declarations today. Um, But what I want to do is communicate what we have studied as we have studied the word of God and tried to distill clearly a few statements where we say, word of God says we're supposed to do this. We're going to commit together to do this. If you don't become a member, you're still welcome. You're still going to hang out. But keep in mind, the elders and I will have to stand before God and answer for those people who are committed to be shepherd here. I will just lovingly, gently say, if you don't become a member, you are not going to be my first priority. Because I'm going to assume that I don't have to answer to God for you. Right? I'm going to care for you, I'm going to shepherd you, I'm going to minister to you. But um, the ones who commit here, I'm going to be pretty doggone sure that when I stand before God, I've got to answer for you. And so that's going to be who I discipline. That's going to be who I encourage. That's going to be who I, I show up and at the hospital for. Like That's going to be the people that I invest in the most and that our elders invest in the most because we're going to know these ones, these ones, when we stand before God, we're going to give an answer for. Now, I might have to answer for more than that. I'm not sure. I'm just trying to make sure I know who it is and what's clear. The secondary issue I have here is I want to make sure that all of us know what it means to follow Jesus together so that we don't get to kind of get off the hook and say, oh, that's something that we're supposed to do when we're part of a church, right? And so this is, I'm about to read this kind of membership covenant. I've got some, I've got a paper in the back and I've got a couple of more if you want to look over later. Um, here's part of what I'm saying about this. You know, my family is a family. Everybody was born into it. You know, nobody actually had to sign anything to be part of our family. Nobody had to make some declaration. They were born in Hannah and Micah and Joan, Jana know they're part of my family. Christy actually did have to sign something, but that's a whole different thing. She married, you know, into this thing. Um, but, you know, our family has roles, right? It's expected that, like, hey, you're in no matter what because you're part of this family. But, uh, you know, like, Hannah, is, is, she does the dishes. And Jana, she puts the silverware away. And Micah, he, he helps get the trash, and he puts water in the, in the dog's bowl. Jana feeds the dog, right? Um, I'm, I cut the grass, I vacuum sometimes. Um, Christy dusts every now and then. Sometimes I dust when I'm reminded that I need to, right? Um, There are roles to be played out in this family, right? Hey, we love you no matter what, but if you're a part of this family, be a part. Like, like, you got a role to play. And so in us communicating this membership covenant, we're communicating the commands God has for the church and how we're going to live them out together. So 
uh, having been brought by God, by God's grace, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, depending upon the Holy Spirit, establish this covenant with one another. Before I go any further, the Old Testament word of covenant involved cutting something in two, right? Typically a covenant, I mean, actually the word involves cutting something in half. When there would be a covenant, you would cut an animal in half, separate it out, and you would walk between it, both members who are making this covenant. And the implication is, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, I should be cut in half just as that animal has been cut in half. Covenants are serious business. And by the way, I, I typically don't like to use the word covenant because of that, because we've kind of weakened it. Like, we were like, sign this covenant, sign this covenant. And then like, nobody does it and they don't understand. And I'm like, you realize this is about cutting you in half if you don't do this. Um, I'm not going to do that probably, but I do sometimes sin. So <laughs> like, don't, I'm not serious about that. That's recorded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> for those, yeah, for those who are listening, that was a joke. Um, That's right. So what I'm trying to get at here is that this is a serious deal. So reading on, um, as we're committing that our actions and life will glorify God in all things. In all we do, we will aim to glorify and enjoy the God of our salvation, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. To him be glory, uh, be all glory forever. Maintaining unity, we will eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by walking together in love and in the Spirit and by putting away all bitterness, anger, and injurious speech. Understand what this means? It means that we're making a commitment to not gossip, right? And that when, when we do, we quickly repent of it. This is how we maintain unity in the Spirit. We're committing to that, right? Extending forgiveness with humility and gentleness, patience and love, we will be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Yeah, gentleness and patience. So I'll just tell you, like in a family, especially in the family of God, people get on your nerves. But I'm going to be patient, right? When somebody just annoys the heck out of me, I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to assume that they're sinning. I'm just going to assume that it's my lack of patience, my lack of spiritual well-being that, that keeps me from loving them in that moment. And so then my response is not to be like, so-and-so is so annoying. My response is going to be, God must be wanting to grow patience in me. And so I'm going to seek him and abide in the spirit, walk in the spirit, so that I can manifest more patience as I'm loving even the least lovable among us. And then that I'm forgiving regularly. Even when I am harmed, even when I'm sinned against, I am forgiving. I'm not excusing sin. I confront it and I forgive it. Caring for one another as Christ cared for the church. This is we will carry each other's burdens. I shouldn't read that again. We will carry each other's burdens. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Discipling our children. We will train our children in the instruction of the Lord, seeking to walk in a way that adorns the gospel of Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors. Understand, like, we're we're going to disciple our children as parents, and then the body of Christ is going to support in that. Extending forgiveness. We already read this one. I'm sorry. This is walking in the spirit, growing spiritual fruit. We will strive to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faithfully gathering to minister to one another. We will not neglect to gather together. 
but will support and treasure the biblical teaching, preaching of the whole counsel of God, the faithful observance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the loving exercise of spiritual discipline or church discipline. Yeah. We are going, this means we will faithfully be together. I, I don't just skip. Like, I come. Unless there's some reason I'm not going to be there and it's got to be a good one. Giving generously, we will contribute cheerfully and generously to the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the advancement of the gospel, both to our neighbors and all nations. Making disciples, we will faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection, faithfully making disciples together, reaching as many people as possible, a people, groups, people and people groups as possible, parting well. We will, when we move from this place, unite as soon as possible with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and principles of God's word. This means, this is another thing. You notice that like in so many churches, people are like, well, we show up for a little while here. And then I'm like, ah, I'm kind of annoyed. I'm going to move to this other one. And we don't really explain why or what was going on. Like the idea here is like, this is a no ghosting clause. Like you don't just get to skip out. God calls you somewhere, you come to your elder and to the church and say, I believe God is calling me somewhere else, right? If, if you're mad, you address that and it's discipled and dealt with. You don't just get to ghost. We're committing together for that. The idea from this is that um, we're going to all have time to look and pray and seek God over this commitment. And then probably next month, we'll have the opportunity and say, like, if you would like to make this commitment, let's do it. And that's where, so we're given time. We're not asking everybody to do it today. Uh, but the idea here is we're making laser clear what it means to follow Jesus here at Restoration and in the church body as a whole. Um, I will post this sermon, Lord willing, today or tomorrow uh, with all of the slides. So if you want those, those will be on the website, uh, as well as the membership covenant with it. Here's what we're doing. Uh, some values in this commitment. Um, it lets the family of God know who is with us and who is just visiting. Everybody's welcome to just visit. Helps us know who's with us, right? It lets the elders know uh, who they will answer to God for at judgment. We already mentioned this. It lets us know to what we are committing to. Here's another side note. I'm not putting this in here, but the reality is it protects our church a little bit legally. Um, If we ever have to do church discipline, it keeps us from getting sued. Um, So that's helpful. Um, It is a hard sell to be like, become a member so we can discipline you later. But... um, it's part of what we're doing here. Um, as a side note, we might discipline anyway. We just risk ourselves. Um, we have done church discipline twice since we started. Um, it was painful, and we did it biblically. But if somebody wanted to sue us, they just might be able to. So membership is a critical thing. We are committing to the family of God at restoration to submit to the headship of the elders and to one another and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Cool? Um, I am going to pray and then share a few announcements. And um, if you guys have questions or thoughts, please let me know. Um, would love to talk on this more. Did anybody not get the email, by the way, with the membership agreement? Everybody got it? Praise the Lord. I sent out an email with the membership, what we just went over. No? All right. I've got paper copies. Um, that means you might not be getting my emails. Which, ah, that's not good. We've got to fix that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know that you don't get them. Yeah. Well. I could have put a clause in here. We'll check our email and create an email. I didn't do that. Um, cool. Let's close. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to discuss a couple of announcements, and we'll be, we'll be ready to eat some chili. Um, Father God, thank you for your grace and your anointing in this time. Um, if I have spoken anything that is in error or just not clear, 
uh, Lord, would you uh, reveal that, that it would be corrected? Um, And then, Lord, I also ask you that we would have clarity on obedience to you. Um, Lord, may many uh, commit to membership here. Uh, And then, Lord, may we faithfully make disciples as we submit to one another in love. But most importantly, maybe we obey your commands for the church. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.